0: Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show, Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stimme and Andy Blaker. Hi, Andy. Hey, Marlene. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you this morning? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Good. Well, we are going to be discussing today, episode 10 of Cheers, season one. And the name of the episode is Endless Slumper. It was written by Sam Simon, directed by James Bros, and it aired for the first time on December 2, 1982. And Our logline is, a Red Sox pitcher going through a slump calls Sam for advice. Sam and the gang at Cheers have different recommendations for him, but the pitcher, Rick Walker, is compelled by Sam's habit of carrying a lucky bottle cap. Sam loans Rick the bottle cap, and Rick's pitching performance improves, while Sam's luck takes a turn for the worse. Diane, who thinks that Sam is bringing his bad luck to himself by being superstitious, learns that Sam's lucky bottle cap had nothing to do with baseball. So we have that story, which is kind of a big story at this point in the season. But before that, we have our teaser. And the teaser is really not connected to the episode. But it's a little story on its own of a woman coming in, and she says that she's here in response to an ad in the newspaper about Ms. Tortelli's children. And right away, Cliff has a line. He asks if she's trying to sell them again. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was a great response from Cliff. And it turns out that Carla has advertised for a tutor. This woman seems very upstanding. She has a resume. She has quality references. And she's going through those and through all of her qualifications. And Carla asks her if she's been in any military skirmishes. (laughs) And she also then asks her to... She stands up, has the woman stand up, and Carla asks the woman to punch her in the face. And this woman is, you know, understandably horrified by this request. And everybody in the bar is kind of cheering on, like, yeah, go ahead and do it, you know. And then she learns what Carla is going to pay her hourly, and she hits Carla, who is impressed, and (laughs) hires her on the spot. (laughs) It's it's a good, it's a
1: funny teaser, and I just want to bring attention to to the, the actress who plays this woman. And I cannot, I don't have the actress's name, but... When I saw this, I said, "Mrs. Selner, do you remember Mrs. Selner from Mrs. Doubtfire?" One of yes! my all-time I favorite films, and that this—oh yes, I love she that. Played, movie. She played, cool. she played Mrs. Selner. She was the social worker for Robin Williams' social character. worker
0: mm-hmm. that, <laughs> mm-hmm, that comes into the house or apartment when he's switching between being Mrs. Doubtfire and yes. the, um, oh gosh, the character's name. But just regular Robin Williams' character. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That's funny because I, that, that would be my second, it's probably the most well-known, you know, memory of her. But I remember her playing a judge on Northern Exposure, the TV show Northern Exposure, in their fourth season
1: yeah so she's,
0: she's been in a few she, things I've seen she has
1: she was in um, Liar Liar with Jim, uh, Jim Carrey I think right around Mrs. Doubtfire time she's been in a lot she's mm-hmm. a big character actress so yeah anyway yeah. I get
0: excited yeah. I, no I like that I really enjoy her performances the ones I've seen as well so I'm glad you brought that up yeah that's fun yeah Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> so and she's kind of a similar upstanding person Mm-hmm. You know,
1: she plays that, that character so. well. She's k- kind of, yes.
0: kind of uptight a little
1: bit. At least her character in Mrs. Dalfire was. You know, she. I think mm-hmm. she plays those roles with a very, you know, straight face. And
0: yeah, yeah, she's good. So our main story begins, our main episode begins when Norm comes in, says, "What's the story?" And they say, "What's the story, Norm?" Thirsty guy walks into a bar. You finish it. And then he proceeds to say that he's joined a health club, and everybody is, you know, enthusiastic about this. And I believe at some point he says they have an excellent snack bar.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, that's right.
0: <laughs> which is a, a norm reason for joining a health club, it seems oh, yeah. to me. Yeah. And then we move on. There's conversations going on around the bar, and Cliff says that a customer doesn't believe him about Sam's bar slide. So Sam pours a beer and slides the beer down the bar and the beer curves at the corner and like and, you know ends up in front of cliff mm-hmm. so the audience applauds like the studio audience applauds sam's bar slide so this is kind of a cool way to start i thought and it's a good play on sam's you know baseball days but it's just this little bartending trick that he has devised yeah yeah, yeah. And then I think Diane is kind of impressed by it and Sam, you know, says to her, that's just one of my two hidden talents. <laughs> yeah,
1: we have a we have a double Andre
0: there. Yeah. Yes. The other one is just as impressive. <laughs> and then she fires back, But you could hardly charge a buck for it. Which yeah. I really I like that. I think thought that was a good comeback because she's that not is... making fun of him. It's just it's a good comeback to what he said. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we have a little coach moment of the phone ringing, and he answers the phone. <laughs> Do you remember mean, what he does? Uh, yeah,
1: I love this moment. So he's he's like, you know, I'll we'll put you on hold on a minute. Turns the phone upside down and starts kind of mimicking, you know, your standard hold music. You know, very non-script, uh-huh. just kind of, you know. And I, yeah, that was a great. I loved how he did that. <laughs> it was so fun.
0: Yeah. And Sam, like, you know, kind of comes over to stop that and answer the phone. And I think Coach says something about, like, how all the classy joints are doing that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so the phone call is from a Red Sox pitcher. Sam announces that a Red Sox, a genuine Red Sox, is coming over. And Carla starts cleaning up and tidying and trying to, you know, straighten everybody up and so forth. She's, you know, excited that the Red Sox is coming over. And she's asking which one it is and naming some of the famous names and so forth. And then Sam says that it's Rick Walker, and she spits in a glass and says he can use that one. You know? <laughs> so Carla's in her sports mode. She says that since Rick has been signed by the Red Sox, his performance, basically his performance has deteriorated. She uses a you know, more particular baseball term. But she, basically he was, you know I guess, on a farm team and doing really well, and they signed him, and then he just tanked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so Rick shows up, and then the bar boos when he comes in the door. And he's basically been in a pitching slump, and he wants Sam's help, wants Sam's advice. And then Rick, who's, Rick is kind of, he's sweet, but he's sort of a simpleton, you know. And he says his pitching coach told him that if anyone knows about slumps, it's Sam alone, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So there's not that Sam is necessarily like some wise guru, you know, he's just has known about slumps. There's a discussion back and forth. It's, it's an early mention in the episode of Sam's alcoholism when Sam says that he doesn't drink anymore, but he's going to get Rick a beer. And they have a little bit of a chat about that. I believe Rick asked if Sam drank during games, and he says, you know, never while he was on the mound. And then Rick asked if drinking helped, because I guess he's just looking for any kind of answer, you know. Um, he says, ask if drinking helped, and Sam says, you know, quite the contrary and so forth. So we do have that sort of... I, I don't even know if that's foreshadowing, but that introduction of that topic of Sam's alcoholism in his past. And then Sam takes Rick, Rick over to meet Coach, to kind of get Coach's advice. I think that Coach just thinks he needs to see more of the ladies, and then they, maybe they have a um, the discussion about that. It's either at that point, or a little bit later on, they talk about the ladies that are at the ballpark and so forth.
1: No, I actually, I think that's right. I think that's right, because then that kind of leads into the next part where... Um... The, the whole misunderstanding between Diane and her idea of meditation and what Rick assumes she's talking about. I think that's where it that happens. <laughs> right, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, because Diane is talking about meditation and saying you know to Sam that, that Rick should try meditation and that she had a facial tick that, that <laughs> she, she says she used to have and meditation helped her get rid of it. And of course she's displaying it all over the place at this point. <laughs> which is a little bit... It's funny, but it's kind of... Again, it's one of those sort of sketch, com- kind of theatrical things, mm-hmm. sketch comedy things that she does, I I thought. You know, Sam seems open to it. I thought that was interesting that he was open to this meditation idea that Diane is presenting. So he suggests that to Rick. And then Coach is suggesting sex to take the edge off. And Norm, <laughs> at this point, interjects <laughs> that Sam has taken more edges off than a carpenter. <laughs> that was so, a good
1: one. That was a good line.
0: That was a great line. Yeah. And then Coach is talking about how there used to be a lot of ladies at the ballpark, and Rick tells him that they're still there. (laughs) And Coach (laughs) says, are you kidding? Say hello to Rosie McGonigal for me. (laughs) And then, you know, as if it's the same women there years later. And, of course, Rick says that they're different ladies. So they're sort of, you know, bantering back and forth about what would help Rick's pitching. Mm -hmm. And then Diane, of course, comes over. She's going to have her say and you know let Rick know that what what she thinks he should do <laughs> and she interrupts when Rick says to Sam that he doesn't think it's the answer and so she doesn't know that the topic has moved from meditation to sex yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right in that span of her walking over it's a comedy of misinterpretation but I think it's really well done and I think their reactions to it make it even funnier yeah
1: oh yeah I, I really like this scene I mean it it was just really funny how she just keeps going and it gets more and more extreme and you know she Mm -hmm. thinks like you said she thinks he's turning down you know knocking the whole idea of of meditation and so she's just you know selling it she's in her sales pitch
0: mode and it it was fun yeah she's she does it all the time Mm -hmm.
1: yeah outside rick
0: is sort of right right (laughs) in the outdoors or something beautiful or whatever she said about doing it in the outdoors and she likes to get a half an hour in in the morning or something about that you know, yeah. and Rick is just bowled over by this. Sam is laughing. He at one point he chokes on his coffee <laughs> <laughs> because of the whole misinterpretation and how you know he's just amused by this communication between Rick and Diane. And then at some point, Rick asks. He kind of points to Sam and asks, essentially, if they were doing it. And Diane says, "Are you kidding him? He'd just make jokes." And I think that's when he almost spits out his coffee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> laughing at them <laughs> yeah he asks about something about like if people stare when they're doing it outside and she says that they always end up learning something and sometimes they join in and you know at this point Sam's about to fall over and he tries bless him he does try to intervene and say something so he's trying to do the right thing but then Diane you know thinks that he's a skeptical person about the idea so she corrects him calls him a skeptic you know and says you know we're going to use your office basically (laughs) But yeah. that whole exchange with the three of them, I thought, with the reactions is what made that so hilarious.
1: Oh, yeah. For me, um, easily the best yeah. part of the episode right there. It's it
0: just that conversation, it, at least in
1: terms of, you know, humor.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. So they go in Sam's office and there's a pause and then we hear a slap and Diane walks out you know, displaying <laughs> her tick. <so. laughs>
1: Oh, that was a good scene.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. It was written well with the different, you know, the jokes in there, but just Mm -hmm. the way they played it I thought was hilarious too because, I mean, Sam seems just genuinely amused by what's happening. And I think it would be amusing, you know, to be filming that and go through that scene with somebody too. Oh, yeah. So then Sam and Rick get to talking and he's telling Rick, Sam's telling Rick that he needs to try different things, kind of break up his routine and so forth you know i feel like that's good advice and then they talk about superstitions and coach you know pipes up and says that sam had a lucky charm mm. so then this is the point at which sam is telling rick about his bottle cap i was curious at this point because you know sam just kind of pulls it out and is playing with it and rick takes to it immediately and i wondered why sam doesn't tell rick that he you know would need his own lucky charm that i guess of course we wouldn't have the progress of the episode if he had done that
1: right and and the fact that you know that was not it was not a lucky charm for him in baseball and you don't learn that right. until the very end um from coach but you know you're kind of all along assuming oh this is what he used in all his in his career and so that's why rick takes to it so quickly but it's an interesting part and you're right i mean if, if I, I think they used it so that you know you can propel the episode along but it's just a completely it's just a big misunderstanding from the get-go
0: yeah so, Rick has a bottle cap and he leaves, and Carla is still mocking him. She makes choking motions at him, you know, as he's walking out the door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she doesn't hold back. When she is upset about something, she can be very cruel, you know. Oh, yeah, she really can be. Yeah. You know, Sam tells Coach he can live without his bottle cap for a couple days, and then he pours the beer, and it's going to do the bar slide, and the beer slides off the end of the bar.
1: (laughs) Smashes all over the floor. (laughs) Just
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that that's a harbinger of bad Mm. things to come. So we come back, and then we learn that Rick has been pitching well. Two weeks, he's had the bottle cap. He hasn't returned it yet. And then Sam has had a run of bad luck. He's late, I believe, um, because he locked his keys in his car. And that's what happened that day. And then I believe they asked him if he'd seen the game and he said that, no, he left his TV set next to his heater the night before and it exploded, but luckily he was unconscious in his bathtub. At the <laughs> you know, it's just this whole litany of things that have gone wrong.
1: Right, I think he cut himself shaving, stubbed his foot, yeah, uh, yeah. all sorts of things.
0: And the guys are even taking bets now on Sam's misfortunes and what's going to happen next to him. You know, Diane comes up with this rational explanation that Sam is not concentrating and that he's making unl- unlucky things happen to himself. At some point she talks to coach about the bottle cap
1: and that was the scene where um, he, you know how, how she asks him how many games did he win using mm, that mm-hmm. and he says none so that's yeah. when i think we learn that while he considers it a lucky charm it's not A lucky charm in the sense that for for playing the game yeah but i i don't remember too much more with with that particular conversation i just remember thinking oh that was you know thinking they should have said that earlier you know (laughs) in the episode before rick walks off super confident with its ability to you know help his game
0: and yeah diane is nagging coach and says she's curious about what the bottle cap what the purpose of the bottle cap is basically Mm -hmm. And I guess they just think that if he believed in the bottle cap, it would help. But it does seem like they, you know, let him believe that it was about baseball, you know. Yeah. Maybe he just automatically believed that because Sam was showing it to him because Coach mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does kind of come back around on itself in that conversation when Coach says it had nothing to do with baseball. Right. And then, you know, somebody tries to hand somebody hands Sam a a pot of coffee, which he takes by the sides. So he's just making all of these errors and getting hurt. (laughs) I thought it was interesting. I think it's an interesting character thing, though, that Sam has gone two weeks letting himself suffer, you know, without his bottle cap, so that Rick Walker can be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to interrupt that. And I thought that that was sort of an interesting you know, sacrifice, if you will, that Sam was willing to make. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: He's a good guy. This... I mean, he's, you mm-hmm. know, and it is rare. It is really a selfless act when you think about it, especially given the the bad luck that he's, you know, running into
0: currently. He's had enough, though. So he's going to call Rick Walker and get his bottle cap back. And Rick is pitching at the time. And so they're going to wait, you know, just till the game, nine innings is over, <laughs> and the game instead It's in the you know they show the time going by. It's in the twenty first inning, and they're (laughs) yeah.
1: That sounds horrible. Can I just as a random aside, just because I you know everyone talks about how you know baseball games run very long anyway. And that, Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like it could have easily been two or three days because it's normal, a normal game. (laughs) I'm going to display my sports ignorance here, so I'm sorry, but normal game has nine Mm -hmm. innings. I know that much. So if this has gone on for 21, 22, that's more than double the (laughs) amount of time. Right. So that sounds, that just sounds awful. (laughs) And you can tell because, you know, the bar's closing (laughs) down. It's, it's, you know, some ungodly hour in the nighttime and it's just gone on and on forever.
0: Yeah. And Norm has apparently they've left his beer mugs on the counter so that he can count them <laughs> to determine in what inning they are. That's how he keeps by track. the amount of beer he's had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he knows he does know his um his drinking patterns and his timing very well. Oh yeah. And then there's the little Norm and Cliff joke when they're leaving about Cliff having to get his postal bag or something like that and Norm says, I have to crawl into bed with mine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We had some good lines between him and uh, Norman Cliff and then Coach and Carla had it. You know, just nothing super standout, but, you know, just just good humor, just good one-liners.
0: Yeah, and we don't really have a side plot. The entire thing is the story of this bottle cap and what it, you know, finding out what it means Mm -hmm. to Sam. So I like that they have the little comic bits between the characters in the midst of that, since they don't have separate stories. Carla doesn't. Want, still does not want to miss a moment of this game, even though they're in the, the late innings. So Coach is going to drive her home. She runs out to the car so that she can continue listening to the game. <laughs> and then as soon as she leaves, Coach remembers that he might have taken the bus oh, today. That that's day. it. That's it. Did
1: I take the bus today? Yeah, that
0: one. <laughs> Did I take the bus? Right. Finally, the game ends, and Sam calls Rick. And I believe Diane asked Sam if he, if he has a number of the bull pit... which is, I think he means the bullpen. It turns out that Rick has lost the bottle cap, which, you know, it's, it's disappointing that he lost it. He also did not tell Sam, you know, so Sam is a little bit put out about that. But he, you know, kind of forgives him and gets over it. And, you know, Sam is clearly dismayed. And I think Diane doesn't understand because she's still, I think, of that mind that it's just maybe like a crutch or that Sam is, you know, making these things happen to him and he's put all this faith in this bottle cap. Right. And she doesn't know why. She doesn't know what the bottle cap's about. And then Sam tells Diane that the little bottle cap keeps him from drinking. And that it's the cap off the last bottle of beer or last anything that he ever had to drink. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he's closing up. He turns the light off. And this is another one of those times when I think that Cheers seems more like a play than a TV show. Because... The way that he adjusts the lighting kind of highlights the scene of Sam and Diane, and it's also very play-like, I think, in the way that they're talking, in the way that it's filmed. Yeah. And then it just adds a little drama to it, too.
1: Mm-hmm. It, adds, it, it adds a bit of drama. I mean, it really takes kind of a curve, you know, when he starts detailing it, and Diane really, you know, she she, she understands it, and she really wants to help him. And I think she's mm-hmm. sincere, obviously, in the moment, and and he's but he's he's very upset, and I think, as anyone you know would be fearful of 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 what that you know he used it as a, like a talisman, you know, it's like a a good luck charm, yeah. but it, it means more to him than that. He sees it as kind of this thing that. You know potentially with it gone he could lapse back into alcoholism mm-hmm. so it, it it really does take a, a 180 in terms of the tone and you're right the way that they light it a few episodes back we had some scenes with um, Carla and Diane and they lit it in a similarly way where where you know the bars completely dark and there's just kind of this this one light on and it kind of spotlights the the people in that scene and you're right I mean it does kind yeah. of turn from the the multi-camera or one camera whatever sitcom that they all you know, there's a look to it. Um, And then
0: you don't see that a lot in other shows. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's really cool.
0: And I forgot as well that he tells her the story of the bottle cap before Rick actually calls back and lets him know that he lost it. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of like the weight of that hits at that point. But he's told Diane about it being the last bottle cap and then talks about holding it, you know, and pressing it into his palm and so forth. And the, the past few nights, I believe he says at this point that he's like been tempted to drink. Yeah, the past couple nights. Mm -hmm. And then we find out that Rick has lost the bottle cap. So Sam kind of goes from telling this, you know, dramatic story, but he's not telling it in a dramatic way. I thought it was very effective because he's not, you know, overselling the story and he's almost underselling it, but you can tell that it's very affecting to him.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then at some point there, there's the joke about, you know, well, Sam thanks Diane for listening, you know, appreciates her, her graciousness. And she says that if she wasn't there, she'd be at home with the brothers Karamazov, I think, <laughs> she'd be in bed with the brothers Karamazov. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like that they got a little joke in there. Yeah. And then once they find out that Rick has lost the bottle cap, like, Diane kind of goes into that cheerleading mode where she wants to go to Kansas City, I guess, to find the bottle cap, and she's <laughs> yeah. saying, like, they can go right now and all of this. And then I think she moves into saying like, "Well, why don't you watch me get drunk? I'm, you know, ridiculous and all of this and so forth." <laughs> so she's trying to be, it. You know, she could, I think she, doesn't she say like "easy come, easy go"? Like she's trying to just be too positive about it, I suppose, for his state of mind. Yeah, I think um, she. I
1: think she means well, but she's definitely yes. not doing
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Sam kind of turns from this the story and the drama of that to almost into frustration you know mm-hmm. he's definitely escalating his behaviors pacing around the bar and we don't often see him being that serious so I think that's an interesting turn for him because he seems sort of frantic about this I don't know it seems like a good portrayal of someone that would be in that state of mind
1: mm-hmm. I think I think it really is you know I mean, he's he you know it, it's it's a momentary... In the scene, anyway, it's a momentary thing where, you know, it's just desperation, and it's anger, and it's frustration, I think. And I think he conveyed that really well with the acting. And he's, you know, he's got a bottle, and he's, he wants her to get out of there, and he's ready to have a drink. And you think it really is likely to happen.
0: Because she says, he's talking about how he's going to be a ba- in a bar from now on, and Diane says oh, he'll feel better tomorrow. And Sam says, you know, no, I'm going to feel better tonight. And at some point in there, he gets angry. And it's a sudden anger, which I also thought was kind of interesting, because that's not usually how Sam is. So mm-hmm. this is clearly, it's kind of playing on like, what his past was like as an alcoholic, I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah. without stating that outright. And then he, the, the beer seems like it's sitting there with him looking at it for a very long time. You know, they, they kind of extend the moment to build the, the anxiety in the audience, I think. Yeah. But I thought it was one of those interesting film things where like how you f- how long you feel it lasts may or may not be equivalent to how long that shot actually lasted.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's a very, very dramatic moment, you know, and and it mm-hmm. does kind of go on and on and, and you're right. I mean, you, you kind of think of what it would be like to be in the audience watching them. <laughs> you know, it's in that dramatic lighting, yeah. Exactly. Light. I
0: mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not knowing
1: what direction exactly. he's going to take with it.
0: And he seems to be sort of holding his breath too. I just think, like, all around, it's a really good. You know, I mean, I don't want to be overly analytical about it, but I think it's a good psychological portrayal. It's kind of extends out of the sitcom world in that way. And then he does the bar slide, it slides the beer <laughs> down the corner <laughs> down of the bar, and the audience applauds, you know. And this is one of the things, you know, I mentioned when we first started in our first podcast that I started watching the show when I was 12 and I hadn't seen the beginnings, you know, of the show. I just kind of started in season, but like a little bit before season six. So this was one of the episodes that I had gone back and seen, but again, like when I was young, you know, but I've always remembered, that was one of the things that I've always remembered about the show was that that bar slide that he does at the <laughs> end. Cause it's sort of, I don't know. It's kind of victorious in a way. It's just a, a good, good moment.
1: It's a great way to end the episode. I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. It, it, you're right. I mean, it's it's victorious. He's kind of overcome that momentary, you know, the potential for a lapse there. And um, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a real good way to end it.
0: And then Diane is relieved, but she seems to be, and he apologizes to her because she seems to be upset by the entire thing. I don't know. I mean, I think that the, the, their rapport and that last scene in the conversation is important. But it, to be honest, it kind of annoys me that she required attention because <laughs> it was supposed to be all about him, you know. But I guess she is concerned for him. And just Diane being Diane can't help but make it a little bit about her.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's um, just that's just her. You know, it, it she she's sincere and yet it's just her personality, you know. And, and yeah. But I think it also Sam obviously cares about her. And even when yes. he is battling his demons in that scene, her welfare and, and how she might feel is still on his mind. So I think... I think I, I hear what you're saying. I think I think there's a little bit of both on that.
0: Did you have any other thoughts or things that you had noticed in the episode? I don't know. The character
1: of Rick... Um, originally, I had gotten it wrong. I, I kind of had thought that this was a guy that actually knew Sam, like they had played together, but then I realized mm-hmm. that, that that was not the case. That, you know, he's kind of come into the team in the time that sam's not been part of the team so they don't really know each other it's just that you know they've like you said they've met through um the coach or whoever it was that kind of you know said hey talk to this guy about a slump so um rick's i don't know his character's kind of i thought the carelessness with which he lost that uh bottle cap was kind of telling you know um he's Uh he's a young guy he's kind of reckless and and I think he has all the success with the bottle cap, with this lucky charm. And so, of course, the guy's probably thinking, you would think that he would owe all that to the bottle cap. Well, he lost it a week earlier, right? So it's it's obviously, right. he's, he's forgot about it. He's just been kind of, it didn't really matter much to him. So I like the way that mm-hmm. they kind of portrayed that. You know, Rick's clearly not the the guy that you're rooting for in the end on this. But it was just interesting how they kind of portrayed the two, the differences between Sam and and Rick as as a character.
0: I think that's a great point. Because you're right, Rick isn't very... He's not very self-aware, and he's not very aware of... The bottle cap was the thing that he was hanging his success on at the beginning, or his hopes for success. And then it sounds like once he became successful or had a run of luck, he was just absorbed into that and didn't Mm -hmm. think even about giving the bottle cap back to Sam. You know, there's just you know, not a lot of awareness there. And of course it comes across in a funny way in the meditation conversation, you know, because he's just sort of out of his element on that as well. But I do think that that's a good contrast between Sam and Rick. I like that Sam, Sam is funny in this, like he's easygoing, but he's also very compelling. So I thought his range in the episode was really good and not something that we've seen to that degree before. And then I also think in some of these scenes, and this is something that I wonder like throughout the whole show, and I may have mentioned this before, but I wonder if some of the actors are laughing at each other in some of the scenes because the <laughs> characters are laughing at what's going on. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you get a sense that they're just so amused <laughs> with each other you know, as actors, too, and what they're you know, playing. And I, I think that's kind of fun.
1: Oh, I love I love when you get moments like that where you can tell you know it wasn't exactly something that scripted. It's just a natural reaction. It doesn't conflict with anything, but it's a genuine mm-hmm. moment from the actor portraying the character laughing at another actor. I think and um, I, yeah. yeah, you you I've seen several of those. You and you, again you you may you often won't see it unless you're kind of looking behind the behind the main action. But you'll see a little you know a little grin or whatever. And those are those are always fun moments.
0: I think like overall this is probably one of my favorite episodes of the first season and i think it's just because it does have such a you know a more in-depth exploration mm-hmm. of sam than we've seen before and of his just of his nature and how he handles things you know i think he makes the best of things when he has a setback but you can clearly see him affected at the same time so i think because of his character you know it's one of my favorites
1: it's a good character piece for him absolutely and we we had an earlier one um earlier this season too where it explored a little bit more of his his alcoholism and that also was a good so so this was good because it kind of expounded on that i liked that part
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i did too
1: That will do it for us today. You can find us on Facebook, Norm, a Cheers podcast, and on Twitter at Cheers underscore Norm. You can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and Spotify. Leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Welcome to Norm, a Cheers podcast. We are co-hosting a weekly discussion of the television show Cheers, which aired on NBC from 1982 to 1993. We are your hosts, Marlene Stemmy and Andy Blaker. Hi, Andy. How's it going?
1: Hey, it's going well. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, too. I'm excited. We're Season 1, Episode 11 of Cheers already, so to get into this. I think it's about halfway through at this point. We, we are. Understand. We are. It's going it's yeah, going fast. It's amazing. This episode is called One for the Book and it was written by Katherine Green, whom we have not yet heard from as a writer and directed by James Burroughs, and it aired on December 9th, 1982. And the logline is as Diane records snippets of Americana, as she calls them, she overhears in the bar tears is visited by an old man waiting for his World War 1 squadron to arrive for their reunion and a young man on his first visit to the bar on the eve of going into a monastery. And I think that's kind of the setup of the main story. So I didn't have too much detail of a summary, because it really is about those two people and what they're bringing into the bar, I think.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything is pretty much around that.
0: But we have a a teaser that's not associated with the rest of the episode, which involves Coach, and he is going upstairs. Customers have asked him to check on their reservation at Melville's. So he goes over, he's kind of humming along, I believe, as he goes. And he removes his apron, and he dons the suit jacket to go upstairs that they have hanging on the rack. They have to go up to Melville's. And then he goes upstairs, he comes back down, and he asks what the name is again. <laughs> so he's forgotten the customer's <laughs> name. <laughs> um, but when he comes down, he goes through that whole process of taking off the apron, or rather putting on the apron. You know, He, he does the entire thing in reverse. And then... After he learns their name, he takes the apron off again. He puts the jacket back on goes back upstairs. <laughs> and then Sam is just kind of watching him mm-hmm. in amusement, you know. So he, two times he goes through that. I, I don't know. I think it's it's a fun, it's not hysterical, but I think it's a fun coach opener. You yeah. Know, it just kind of shows his nature again.
1: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great, you know, up. character moment. And I mean, the poor guy, the fact that he's even doing that you know, it's not the same business. He's making him leave his job go up there and coach right, is just right, happy right. to do it, you know, and doesn't think twice about it, even though it's just watching the whole thing inconveniences us, you know, you feel so bad for right. him. <laughs> but it was, funny. Right. it was funny.
0: That's kind of how I felt it's interesting because like, that's kind of how I felt for him. I felt inconvenienced, And exactly like you said, it's not a connected business. It's not the same business. So he is leaving his job to go and do this favor for these people. Yeah. That expect him, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mind. And Sam doesn't <laughs> mind. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's very funny. And then we go ahead, we open with the episode. with an old man coming in and announcing that the fightin' double deuce is on the loose. <laughs> and asks, where is the rest of my outfit? And then Carla replies, what you've got on looks silly enough. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good, you know, one-liner to start us off there. And what I thought was interesting about the fight and double deuce, I don't know if you noticed this or not, because it was kind of in the back, well, it was really in the background, but in the earlier episode, Sam and Diane are talking in the pool room, and on that chalkboard that they have, it said, welcome fight and double deuce. Oh. And no attention was paid to it, but I just, I noticed that, so it apparently was something that was anticipated, you know, or maybe like just a hint at a future episode.
1: Well, yeah, that makes sense though because they, as he says um, I think just a couple, you know, minutes into it, um, says that he and his um, the the men that he fought with meet here in this bar every ten years, so it's clearly something that if that's what he's remembering, it's been hanging up on the wall forever because he remembers it every ten years.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's a good point. yeah so he comes in the rest of his squadron's not there yet so he makes his way into the back to to wait at some point in the meantime diane who's usually we see her reading a book at the bar but today she's writing in a book and diane tells carla you know people are curious about this diane tells carla i'm writing in the odd moments on the job much as jack london did And then Carla replies, "Oh, is he a bad waitress too?" <laughs> they
1: they I have like a lot that. of sniping back and forth in this episode. They really do, which I mean, again, they that's really their do. dynamic. But um, right, yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> yes, yeah, she. So I it's like that they had... snippets of Americana. Is that what she says? Mm-hmm. Oh man,
0: like, exactly. Of course, that that's, she that's what she says. Bar. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs>
1: snippets of the it's common shit. man americana, americana to humor exactly myself you know <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. the art of the basic people uh-huh. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right to humor herself
1: oh. it, it, it's man. just i mean like i said and and i think we've, we've made reference to her before uh again I like her as a character but it's it's just this level of pretension i think with her you know and mm-hmm. and it, even when it's not intended that way that's how it comes off you know and it's just right. it's like you would think someone would have a little more self-awareness or maybe she does have self-awareness just doesn't care but for someone as as you know intelligent as she is she just ploughs through and and how she comes off doesn't seem to be particularly of concern you know sometimes and it's just i don't know she's just oblivious yeah.
0: I think she is oblivious. I don't know that she doesn't care. I think she is unaware Mm -hmm. how she comes across sometimes. Yeah. Because she really does, you know, I mean, she presents herself as being superior, even if she's not outright saying that. Mm -hmm. And she outright says it sometimes. But in moments like this, the snippets of Americana, I think she doesn't understand that she's putting herself above everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like when, you know, in the previous... Episode several episodes ago, when she talked about caricature being an art form that the common man loves. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, but that's the same sort of thing. She thinks that she's doing people a favor almost, is the right. way it comes across. Like right. she's writing these snippets of Americana, yeah. like she's really honoring the commoners. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but it, it works well through the story, of yeah. course. Yeah. So Norm comes in. He kind of. I noticed throughout the show that he has sort of like a jaunty walk as he makes his way to his seat. You know, there's almost something musical about the way that he walks.
1: He's he's just he's, he's very happy, you know.
0: Yeah, he's long happy day to of be work. Yeah. He knows
1: what's going to happen next, and he's he's got a spring in his step because he's going to get some beer.
0: He's a simple his guy. People, he's
1: a simple guy. It's mm-hmm. his people. He knows what to expect, and that makes him happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like he can't wait to get to the stool. He's like got he said, spring in his step. That's true. Yeah. So a customer goes over to the player piano and Sam tells us could kind of put a coin in there and Sam tells him that it doesn't work. So that sort of sets up this idea that they have this player piano and that it doesn't work for you know, one of our later plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a little joke around that. I think Carla says to try the jukebox that doesn't work either, but it costs less money, you know, so they, they make it into a joke, but it's kind of well positioned as a, a setup as well. Right. And then, of course, what was it? Norm asks why he, Sam keeps something around that doesn't work, uh-huh. and Carla snaps back because no one else would give her a job. Yes. So you know we've got the,
1: you know, and that was a great line. But what I remember thinking was, and and I this is one of my notes that I took down, and I'll talk about this kind of at the end of the episode after it seems like that moment was kind of buried. It didn't get hardly any laughs but and i think that was just Uh because it came right on the heels of another one and it kind of got buried in that and that was a great line and it just did not get Mm -hmm. any recognition and there's a couple minutes where i feel like that happens in this episode so anyway i'll get to that but yeah it's a great line
0: and then buzz comes out he hugs norm from behind and mistaking him for somebody else you know and then offers to buy Norma beer for it and so forth. So they have a little routine around that. And then, you know, Buzz is talking about the room being kind of small and then one grenade will get us all. He has his little world war one rhyme. So you can really tell from what era he has come Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's concerned they're not going to have enough space for his squadron. All of them, you know, when they get together in that back room. And so that's, it's a good start. Cause we have a lot of moments of him. He's pretty much in that, in that room waiting for the entire episode Mm -hmm. So then after that, the, the young man walks in and asks, he, he asks if he can sit anywhere. You know, he's clearly never been in a bar or perhaps in public. Or before. A, a saloon, uh,
1: as he calls it. He saloon, calls it a that's saloon. Right, the saloon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, and he orders a carafe of the house whiskey, which Sam, you know, kind of clues him in is in, in a rather large order. And then he, you know, informs Sam it's the first time he's been in a bar, which is quite obvious. And I think he tells Sam he at this point that he's expected to see more lost dep- desperate souls sitting around. Yes, and that's all <laughs> enough. Sam to...
1: says, oh, that's Thursday night or something. <laughs> right,
0: right. Desperate Souls night is Thursday. And the guy finds that funny and amusing, and Sam kind of looks around for Diane. He's been trying to get a comment in her book, you yeah. know, so far <laughs> that night. Her book of Americana. I think he, there's the part where he doesn't know what to, to order after he's dissuaded by Sam from ordering the carafe of house whiskey. And Sam is kind of attentive to him and sort of tries to take care of him, which I, I like because he's clearly not someone that belongs in the bar, but they kind of take him in a little bit. He mm-hmm. tells Sam he's going to be going to a monastery the next day. And so Sam says he's going to give him a drink, but he wants him to take it easy. It was kind of looking out for him. Yeah. it's It sets up a, an amusing scenario, that early interaction there. Is
1: this where... Cliff I, it's probably an, a scene break but what i have down next is that there um this guy whose name is Kevin i think Kevin is talking to Cliff and kind of bemoaning the fact that he doesn't he's never had much luck with women is that up next i think
0: i think it okay. is cuz there's a part there's a little part when buzz comes out again just to let sam know that his once when his group is there they have a tradition of the first person <laughs> stripping to the all together that's
1: right that's right
0: and standing on the table and announcing Lafayette, we are here. <laughs> so, you know, he's just warning him when of Buzz's little appearances in the bar. And he goes back there and he asks Sam to turn the heat up. You know? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of, that was sort of funny since he's, you know, he's older and he's going to be taking yeah. his clothes off. And Sam sort of <laughs> smiles, you know.
1: Aww,
0: so you're of... getting a little portrait that this guy is eager that his friends are going to show up, but it's... I, you know it's kind of it's getting a little i don't want to say it's getting a little sad but it's you get the sense that maybe this isn't going to go how he thinks right right and then i think this is the part you're talking about when kevin says that he has to take vows of chastity and silence and cliff because cliff asked him something about this mm-hmm. and he says that about his vows
1: yeah because he's talking about um you know like kind of like why are you doing it or whatever you know are you gonna miss you know women mm-hmm. or miss sex or whatever and then he says um you know, he's kind of talked about, I've never had much luck with the ladies. And I think he's talking to um, Carla at this point or something. And, and he talks about, and I have one, he's talking about his, like his face and physical, you know, attributes. And he says, um, the search, right. the search goes on for my chin. <laughs> and I love right. that line. That was, and he, that was very he, self-aware. Oh, and he just deadpans it. And that's what makes it, of course, you know, more mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. But yeah, he's just talking about how he doesn't feel attractive and then that's Cliff goes to Diane and says, Hey, would you do you think he's a he's a specimen or something like that? <laughs> you know <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's somewhere in there Norm has a great line too when he's talking about the vows because Norm says if you're gonna give up sex, you might as well give up talking.
1: That's right. What's Don't the point of talking about about it without not talking about it to your buddies or something to that effect? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of this is happening at once. I mean, it's very, you know, that kind of conversational style mm-hmm. that they have. But Cliff's asking Diane if Kevin is attractive. And so she sort of goes overboard, over complimenting mm-hmm. him. You know, and I, I think that that reflects what you're talking about in terms of her not being extremely aware. She's not that socially aware that... Perhaps this man that's never been out or had any, you know, like a lot of life experience is going to take it the wrong way or just not understand the social dynamics of this. So okay. she's going on about how attractive he is. And then he says, you're not a bamboo, are you? <laughs> and she clarifies it's a bimbo and that she's not one. And then he asks, you know, she goes away and he asks, is she taken? I think it's Sam that says only with herself. <laughs>
1: That that line, so. that right there, that, that's, I like that line a lot. She's only with herself. Yeah. That Just the way he just says that, you know, doing his bar stuff, that, that was a great line. I really enjoyed that. And yeah. it's so true, too. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it really is. that's her. That's her. That sums her up. And, and the fact that Sam said that, I thought that was good.
0: But he's still trying to get more lines in her book. So mm-hmm. I think Kevin, at some point, okay, they talk about how long it's been four hours that Kevin has been nursing this drink and so sam says something about i always say nurse a drink starve a bartender you know and she's not going to write that in the book (laughs) right (laughs) yeah
1: now was this after um obviously uh kevin asks sam about diane so he's kind of fortified he's he's only had i think at that point like a a sip i mean barely any and that's when he goes over to diane and kisses her right
0: Right. He just, yeah. He gets the second drink, takes like one sip, and that he, does. Yeah.
1: it. <laughs> he goes over. And he doesn't just you know kiss her. He he grabs her and he brings her down like to a like a bow position. I don't know. Right. It's intense. And he yeah obviously the most awkward and and socially inept thing that you would do in that situation. And everyone's like rushing to her aid.
0: Right. He kind of attacks her, but he doesn't know how to behave. So right. I, yeah, you know I think. It's inappropriate, but she sort of understands that. And then she goes (laughs) to the back to get herself together. And that's when our two storylines run into each other for the first time.
1: Lafayette, here we are. And you hear a little scream off screen.
0: Right. Right. So not only has she been, you know. She's
1: been mauled. What would
0: would be harassed by this this one man? She goes back and there's a a naked older man standing on the table.
1: She's had a night. She's had Mm -hmm. quite a shift.
0: So after this, Cliff is lecturing on how basketball was invented by the Mayans. <laughs> From this, I don't think it's true. I think modern basketball was invented by whoever, I think they said, who invented it. Mm-hmm. And Cliff goes on, you know, this deal about how it was invented by the Mayans. And I must have some memory of this episode because, like, over the years, I didn't, be- you know, I don't think basketball was invented by the Mayans. But I've always remembered that that's a possibility. possibility. <laughs> <Nice>. so <laughs> somehow I've... Formed a false memory or a false belief around this episode. (laughs) But then Cliff asks Coach, who invented basketball? And Coach answers, the Mayans. (laughs) And that there must have been a Mayan bragging about it in the bar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course that's what he says.
0: But it makes you, does that not make you wonder what other things they've heard in the bar that they believe? And by they, I primarily mean Coach. But just (laughs) there's a whole world of Uh knowledge That whether it's true or not, that has come through in the form of these people that make their way in and out of the bar, right?
1: Right, yeah, no, it's and and you don't have, I mean, we don't have a single scene ever to this point set outside the bar, all the action takes place around the Around the bar, or in the back room, or bathroom, or whatever. So it's it's very right.
0: It's
1: just it's like this whole universe unto itself, you know. And 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 Coach is one who's willing to just you know that's that's where he is almost all the time. That's that's what is most concerning to him. And you know, he'll just take what you tell him and go for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have these stories that come in from the outside, but you don't really go out for the stories. <clears throat> right, Kevin. At this point is sort of ashamed of himself he says he succumbs too easily to the pleasures of the flesh and (laughs) Norm says something like that's all right." there's a lot of that going around because they're all watching a game on TV and they kind of don't want to be bothered by Kevin's you know (laughs) self-consciousness and you know loss of vocation so Kevin's giving this long soliloquy on why he belongs not in a monastery but in a bar and Coach who's distracting himself from the basketball game says Kevin it's our pleasure or something like (laughs) that having him there yeah so they they think nothing of his transgression shall we say Mm -hmm. they're just you know he's he's carrying on talking they're trying to watch their game and sam is giving him coffee he's trying to help him and then buzz comes out again to ask if anyone's checked in yet at some point sam tells kevin that kevin is drunk and sam says he knows what he's talking about and telling him that Mm -hmm. you know and kevin is saying that he talked himself into believing that he had a calling so this experience with the the one drink and one sip and what he did to diane has sort of thwarted his his plans he just says he wants to be a regular guy and carla i think sincerely tries to tell him try to help him out and she's telling him that sex is not that important and then she goes into a list of things that sex can't make <laughs> Like, it's like a sunrise, like all of the, like, inspiring things and so forth. But she ends with, you know, can sex make a newborn baby? And she's like, okay, forget that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because she's kind of, so, he,
1: he, I think he made a line something to the effect of, you know, giving up God for a life outside the monastery like you know at that point mm-hmm. in his in his state he kind of sees it as either or you know what i mean like you go into the monastery obviously you're you're celibate but if you don't then you've like given up on god or something i think she kind of she kind of latches onto that idea with him she's inferring that you know god makes the sunrise god does this god does that as opposed to how much emphasis gets placed on um uh, sex and chasing women and all that
0: yeah i think that's a good point too because and it's interesting to, that comes from Carla because Carla of course is very you know grounded in the physical world in many ways but she also is very religious mm-hmm. too she's Catholic right. and so I could see that being something that she'd be able to speak to even though she sort of blows it at the end <laughs> and then Kevin says you know as part of this whole diatribe he says he wants to dance with cheap women Carla let's dance <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes over he puts a quarter in the piano. The player piano, which is broken, and it plays. So everybody is astounded by this, including Coach. <laughs> and so they're all, you know, they're it's talking a miracle. to Kevin about how this is a sign. It's a miracle, <laughs> and he says, "I healed a piano," you know. <laughs> but everybody seems to believe that this is very significant. Kevin, I think, is sort of, you know, reassured of his calling, makes his way out. Mm-hmm. And did you have anything else on him before he goes?
1: Not really. I mean, I, I kind of felt mm-hmm. like. He, you know, he, he kind of did his job for the, the plot of the episode. He's he's he, he's a character. I mean, he's certainly a character. He's, he's <laughs> right. I don't know what to think of him, honestly. I mean, he's very wishy-washy, um, you, you know, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Seems a little bit naive. I don't know what to say about him. I mean, he's
0: you know, he's, he's yeah. funny.
1: He has some good lines in there, but yeah, you know, he served his purpose.
0: And I think there's like that point that he doesn't know if he had a calling or if that's just what he knew to do is to go into a monastery because he's had no other life experience. Mm -hmm. And then at the last minute decides he's going to go out and get some life experience for himself at Cheers. You know, and then the idea, I guess, is that it kind of turns him back around to going to the monastery. Mm -hmm. That's what the bar did for him, I guess. And then they go on about the piano and ask Sam asked coach if he got it fixed and he says yes he got it fixed a couple of days before <laughs> <laughs> so like for one second it looks like this idea that it's a miracle has been a ruse and then coach comes in and i feel like this is one of his wisest moments cuz he said the piano had been busted for 20 years why did i all of a sudden decide to get it fixed mm, yeah you know and so he just he sees the world in that way like the timing of things being significant mm. so he still sees some And I don't think this is Coach being befuddled. I really do think it's this sort of, you know, a little bit of the wisdom that he has about the world and how he sees it.
1: It's sincere. I think he's being sincere in that moment.
0: And then Norm says, This would make a great bar story. Too bad we're all here. here. (laughs) (laughs) So they have this moment, this kind of spiritual moment, and then, you know, Norm buttons it with this joke. And then, of course, Diane suggests what you know that maybe someone or something is trying to tell him what to do with his life and then a norm of course again says get into piano repair <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're they're kidding around about it but i thought it, i i still think that that's a good however you want to see it a coincidence or some sort of whatever moved coach to have the piano fixed mm-hmm. so that it was timed with kevin coming in the bar it's, it's just a, it, it is a good bar story yes yeah you know and I like that, you know, even though they obviously Kevin doesn't fit in, they all were, you know, treated him pretty well and included him as part of their activities and so forth. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't judged for being this kind of nerdy person that's going into a monastery. They sort of accepted him. Yeah, they did. And then at this point, Buzz comes back out again from the pool room. No one else has shown up for the whole, you know, the whole night. And so he's going to pay Sam for the use of the room. And <laughs> Sam says, you know, he's not going to charge him and so forth. This whole scene and is
1: just so sad. <laughs>
0: you feel so terrible for him you know i really thought so too i mean he's he's a genuinely poignant character yeah i thought you know he's talking about like the guys would never forget i mean it really does seem like someone from it's world war one for for either the world wars that would be talking about the bonds they had from the things that they went through with these people Mm -hmm. you know and to know that he's the last one i think that those moments of him talking are allowed to have their space in the episode without it having to be jokes interfering with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there is just a really genuine sadness, yeah. and then the, the people, you know, the gang is talking about their military and other service. Diane was a brownie; <laughs> she served in uniform <laughs> as a brownie, and I think. Norm in the Navy. I can't remember how every like everybody panned out, but like, yeah. everybody else had something to say about the military service. Mm-hmm. I think Sam was in the reserves even, but then Diane was a brownie. So that's funny, but it doesn't intrude on that sort of melancholy that you know Buzz is experiencing. And I mm-hmm. like that. I like that they had that balance and they just like let the feeling be there.
1: Mm-hmm. They did. They did a good job of balancing yeah. that. They're trying to cheer him up. So any laughs you get are in service to that, which ultimately yeah. you know is the sad part. Is is top there
0: so right yeah because sam is coming up with reasons why the squad members wouldn't show up and buzz is saying they would never forget he's crying and so forth so you know sam suggested if he you know wants some people to get together with they could all meet together every 10 years and then they start reducing the amount of time because (laughs) buzz is cheering up and they like him and you know if i think it gets to like every week or something like that Mm -hmm. and then he starts singing I don't know the song, Mademoiselle from Parlez Vu. So it's a, it's a, yeah. So they're singing the song from World War I. And you know, after a minute of them singing, Buzz says that every 10 years would be fine. <laughs> so, yeah. So good. his spirits are lifted. We get a little singing, and then Norm and Buzz go to play darts. It you know, gives it a little bit more warmth to the ending mm-hmm. after that, the sad moments. Yeah. And then Coach you know says, Loneliness is a good thing to share with somebody, which is, I think, a great quote. And Diane thinks it so. It is well. a good quote. Yeah. yeah. It's in her book. And she, I believe, at that point is just musing on the evening, and she said that they had you know these people who – something about like – isn't it like who would have thought that they would have a night like that? And Something about the people coming in. like two men with one foot in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, that's good, and so impressed with herself. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Sam can't take it. He's just so irritated that he hasn't made it into – her book. He's the only one that hasn't made it into the book. And she says that he's been trying too hard. She wants natural poetry. And he. Do you remember what he says about this? Because he's getting pretty flustered at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It says. Well, the line that I think she ends up putting is, "What does a stuffed shirt know about blue collar poetry?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's and he, that's he the line. Not even. Yeah. Not even trying to get into the book but just because he's so frustrated with the way that she's been mm-hmm. behaving and writing everyone's quote in the book except for his so he made it into the book
1: which is the whole point is she says you know she she said you well you've been trying too hard it's this it's the idea that i'm capturing yeah. the spontaneous untried kind of remarks that someone just casually tosses off you know um uh, which you know i buy that mm-hmm. it makes sense so yeah it you know ultimately he got it in by doing exactly what she was looking for
0: and he's excited about it.
1: Yeah, he really is. Yeah, real so kind of, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was a good way to end it. It was
0: good. I thought so, too. Yeah, so everybody had some sort of little success in the episode, even if it wasn't what they were expecting, I think. Yeah, I, what did you think overall? Or did you have any other parts of the episode you wanted to discuss? Yeah,
1: well, like like I referenced earlier, um, there were a few, I, I can't think of any another example aside from that line, that exchange between um, Diane and Carla, wh- where mm-hmm. Carla says, they ask, why do you keep something around that doesn't work, referring to the broken piano, and, and she, referring to Diane, says, well, no one else will give her a job. <laughs> and it's a yep. great line, and it's funny, and yet it didn't get much of a response, but I think And this isn't necessarily a criticism, because I did enjoy the episode, and there are some definite great lines and funny moments, but it seemed like this episode, compared to some of the other ones we've had, seemed a, a bit more hectic. Like, like the pace was a little uneven for me. And I got the impression that maybe Mm -hmm. it was, diff. there was just so much happening that maybe it was even difficult for the studio audience to keep up, which is why certain lines get buried because you're just kind of cramming too much in there. Again, not really a criticism because you do get something like we've talked about. Um, one thing I like is how you can go back and you miss a little moment and it's a little moment that may not, you know. It doesn't necessarily hurt or add to the story, but it's there, and it's just a funny moment. And so you can go back and and get those, and it's a very a very natural back and forth exchange. But in this instance, it felt like you missed out on some of those lines because there was so much going on. I mean, you kind of have three subplots, there's three plot lines basically. You've got Kevin, the the soon to be monk, and you've got the veteran, and then you've got Diane's and her her book. So again, I don't know. It just to me, I I. More so than episodes past, it seemed like there was just a little too much going on that maybe they could have tampered it down slightly. But again, it was funny, so it's not a criticism. It just was a, a note on the tone.
0: I can see that. I think it's, I guess, like a very dense episode in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on. Yeah. And so I could see that, like, the pacing being off at points maybe because it seems like, like, narratively, if you're going straight forwardly through it, there's a lot that happens moment by moment. And yeah. so if you, you know, aren't paying rapt attention. You're going to miss something but we've seen that with other episodes in the past Mm -hmm. you know and you've mentioned like jokes that are just kind of there and you know you might miss it and you can go back but like you were saying in this one that seems like it's also all happening all at one time so not only do you have a lot like packed in moment by moment but then like even on top of that there are things happening so it's difficult to take all of that in you know at one time right yeah maybe that is because one thing um, just like overall for the series, it seems to me that a lot of the earlier seasons had that narrative flow where there would be you know, a lot going forward through the show, like beat by beat, and you could miss jokes. And then later on, it seemed almost like there was more happening simultaneously to pay attention mm-hmm. to. So it almost seemed like it was like a spatial thing. You know, you kind of had to look all around and see like what different people were doing and saying and comments that were made and so forth. But it wasn't as dense you know, in a linear fashion, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, this is getting yeah. a little abstract. I don't mean to make it so complicated. But then this episode sort of has both. And I hadn't thought about that before.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And like I said, I like the episode overall. I like it. It, it does, mm-hmm. just, you know, I guess if I just point one thing out, it does seem like it, maybe they packed a little too much into it. But, you know, yeah. for the most part, it works. I think you just, you lose out some of those laugh out loud lines, get yeah. get buried beneath everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I don't mind, of course, going back and you know listening to it again and picking up on more, but it is, I think, in any viewing, probably hard to pick up on everything. And I think either of the two stories of the World War One veteran Buzz or Kevin would have made a compelling episode. Right. And having them both, like I, like I said, I like the way they intersect when Diane goes back there and you know sees him saying, Lafayette, we're here, and how that happened because she was going to... You know, get herself together after Kevin kissed her, and these sorts of things. But yeah, it is—it's—it's it's a lot for having two, really, two major storylines happening at the same time. But I like overall that it's an episode that really is about loneliness. You know, and I think even down to Diane writing these lines down, these snippets of Americana, because as you know, as snooty as that is in some ways about her, it's also a reflection of a time gone by, in a way, mm-hmm. or it just seems that way to me, you know, something from the past. Yeah. So I like the, the way that it kind of hangs together on that theme
1: that will do it for us today you can find us on facebook norm a cheers podcast and on twitter at cheers underscore norm you can listen to or download old and new episodes at the usual places apple podcasts google podcasts overcast and spotify leave us a like and comment and join in on our community there thanks so much for listening